Well, good morning. Happy Easter. My name is Jason, one of the pastors here at Community Church, and I am uh, delighted. We're having a love fest over here. That's okay. That's good. But I'm delighted that each and every one of you is here this morning. My question for you, though, is um, what are your expectations for Easter? What are your expectations this year? For some of you, um, and Brad already asked the question, it's about the food that you're going to eat. It's good. It's about family. It's about gathering with people that you care about and love. And it is about the food. By the way, I have a killer green bee recipe. It has butter, bacon, and in pastoral, alliterative fashion, brown sugar. It is absolutely delicious. I'll write it on the prayer card for you if you want it. A little red pepper, a little kick. It is delightful. I've already made it for two gatherings. Each time I've added more bacon. So you cannot go wrong. Amen to that. Some of you are here this morning, and when we sang Glorious Day, your hands are in the air, and you're worshiping, and you know and you are praising God that you have been rescued. You have been rescued, and our title for this message is Rescue is Here, and that is true for you, and you are shouting it from the rooftops, full stop. That's you. I'm two out of two so far. Some of you, though, this morning, as you come into this place, you come with mixed emotions. Because as you celebrate on the one hand, as you rejoice in the truth of the resurrection, as you remember God rescuing you, your heart is heavy because some that you love and care about, they don't believe it. They've walked away. They've deconstructed, they've doubted, they've, they just don't buy it anymore. I know people like that. I have people like that in my life. I've been in this process of cleaning out my attic. There were evidence of squirrels in my attic. They have not returned. Somebody maybe prayed them away. Thank you if that's you. But I've been on this nostalgic Chevy Chase-esque trip of looking at old pictures. And one of the pictures I came across was uh, a picture of a little basketball team that I had coached when my, uh, my daughter was little. And I looked at that picture and it was a, you know, a Christian league and it was in this tiny little, you know, carpet floor gym. And, um, but I look at that picture and I know some of those kids in that picture who are now in their 20s have walked away. And it just breaks my heart. And I remember that experience, and it was a great experience. I mean, lots of fun with the kids. And uh, I remember a kid that I taught to cross over dribble, I don't think is following Jesus anymore. But I remember that experience, and part of what we did was at halftime, we shut the doors and we preached the gospel. And we started with kind of went through the, the, the book of Romans and, you know, which starts with, um, you know, one of the, the, the big verses was, you know, all have sinned and fall short 
of the glory of God. And then we, you know, went all the way through and talked about some of these verses. And it's true and it's great. But there were two different responses in the room. Some would hear that and rejoice. But others, by about game three, were like, hey, i got to find a way to the concession stand before they shut the doors. And I believe there's two different responses to hearing the truth of God's Word. And I want to lean into that doubt a little bit this morning. So I believe we can, we can rejoice and celebrate fully, full stop, but I don't want to ignore the fact that some of you today have people in your life, and maybe you're here today and it's you. And if you are, I'm so glad that you're here. And I pray that you would just have open ears to just hear and take a step this morning. So would you, would you pray with me as we get into it? Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your love a love demonstrated by Jesus, you breaking through and not only dying on a cross, but rising from the dead. We thank you that it's true, capital T. And we pray now that you would give us ears to hear and minds to understand what you would have for us this morning. I pray that my words are clear, that they're helpful, and that they bring you glory and honor. Whatever doesn't do those things, Father, burn it off. Holy Spirit, be our teacher this morning. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Simple bottom line this morning is this. If it's true, then you can trust. If it's true, then you can trust. If Jesus physically rose from the dead then you can trust him with your life. Friends, it's not much more complicated than that. And all the things that we can argue about and have argued about and fought over, if Jesus physically rose from the dead, you can trust him with your life. I want everybody to hear that this morning. Now, as we think about Matthew 28, as we, we think about this fantastic claim that Jesus has risen, I want to invite us this morning to take a look at some of the evidence, to take a look at why we believe what we believe. And to do that, uh, I want to rely on one of the great, uh, great thinkers ever. This guy uh, kind of invented the science of probability. He, he did a lot with, with math and calculus and geometry. A guy named Blaise Pascal. And he said this. He says, in faith, there is enough light for those who want to believe and enough shadows to blind those who don't. There's enough light for those who want to believe to believe, but there's enough shadows to blind those who don't. Now, please don't misunderstand me on this. I'm not saying that whether something is true or not depends on whether we believe it. 
It's not like the, the Christmas bells of the Polar Express, where once you stop believing, they're no longer there. But what Pascal gets at, and I think he's right, there's something underneath, there's something at the heart level that affects the way we look at the evidence. So let me ask you this morning, do you want to believe? Do you want to believe? That's a good question to ask somebody who's doubting. Do you really want to believe? Do you want it to be true? As I've gone through my own journey, uh, I remember early in the 90s uh, doing a little deconstructing back before deconstructing was cool. And actually reading some of the philosophers that were underneath all of it and the foundation of it all. And I, I want to share a few things that have been really helpful for me. And if you're new with us, I do a, a little prayer card every week. And on the back of that prayer card are some resources, both some books and some podcasts that I believe would be helpful for curious doubters. If that's you or somebody in your life, there's some books that some of them have been helpful for me years ago. Some are, are newer and, and um, I think just really help us. But I believe there are four pieces of evidence that come out of Matthew 28 and that have been helpful for me over the years uh, to, to put it all together. And the first one is this. The first is the, the claim that all historians, for the most part, agree on that the tomb was empty that the tomb was empty. Nobody seems to dispute that. The second fact or the second piece of evidence is that people claimed to see Jesus. They claimed to have seen the risen Jesus. It starts with Mary Magdalene and the, and, and the women. We'll talk about them in a moment. But if you were to turn to 1 Corinthians 15, we won't take the time to do that fully. But the Apostle Paul says, look, he, he appeared to all these people, and then he appeared to 500, many of whom are still alive. Go ask them if you don't believe. So we have the empty tomb, we have the, the resurrection appearances. And third, what's really curious is whom Jesus first appeared he appeared to Mary Magdalene and the other women. If you, if you know anything about her history, she had been, uh, seven demons had been uh, exercised from her. So think about the, the fantastic claim that Jesus rose from the dead. The, the first eyewitness in many people's eyes, just think about that for a moment, would have been somebody, first of all, in this culture, women had a lower status. We would have called it very much a misogynist culture. But she would have probably walked around maybe perhaps homeless, perhaps tattered clothing. Nobody would have given her testimony credibility. In fact, the early detractors of Christianity pointed to how could we believe this based on the testimony of hysterical women. That was, that was the claim. You look at a guy named Celsus and some others who would critique this. 
But for us, today when we look back, I want you to think about this. If you were going to make this up, would that be your first eyewitness? And then fourth is the transformation of those who claim to have seen Jesus. Sometimes when we look back at the ancients, we think they were just a bunch of gullible people. They wanted to believe these things. They were easily deceived. It was, you know, they believed in all this supernatural stuff. They still believed that when people died, they stayed dead. That was their belief. One of my favorite little, little passages in Matthew 28 where Jesus is going to give the Great Commission and he's going to say, you know, hey, go, make disciples, baptize, teach all that I have commanded. But there's a little verse in there that says, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Some doubted. I think that's important because there's an acknowledgement that not everybody believed. And if we were going to make it up, probably wouldn't include that. So when you look at the evidence, you've got to ask yourself, everybody, I mean, the the claim is too important. It's too staggering. The promise that Jesus rose from the dead and offers us eternal life, that's a staggering claim, and we ought to look at the evidence. So what's the best explanation? We don't have video evidence. But what's the, what's the most probable explanation? It's a, it's a small little story, but uh, one day I looked out in my front yard and I had a light and there was a little hole in the light and the glass was broken. So I asked myself, how did this happen? How did this light get broken? Maybe it was the wind. Maybe there was a bird that And then I looked down and there were some BBs on the ground and there was a little BB gun in the garage and I said, hmm, I didn't need eyewitness testimony, I didn't need to do a fingerprint test, I could put the pieces together and figure out one of my beloved children had done that. But how do you piece the evidence together? We all have to come up with an explanation. So those are some of the lights that have been helpful for me. Some of you have been wrestling with this a long time, and good night, Jason, in 15 minutes, you can't convince me of that. I I probably can't. But I would invite you, would you go on a journey and consider the evidence? But those shadows of doubt, let's, let's talk about those for a minute. Let's talk about some of those shadows of doubt. I think one is hypocrisy that people see. They see it in the church, they, they see it in us, and they say, how could I believe this to be true if this person doesn't live up to all that they say? I think that's one. I think for others, there's just a lot of hurt, whether it's circumstances, whether it's just things that are really hard, whether it's people that we've trusted who have let us down. I also think there's hurry, we're just too busy to stop and really consider and investigate. 
And maybe for, it's just a hard heart. I don't really want this to be true. Life is too good. I got too much fun. I'm having too much fun. I got too many things going on. Not today. Maybe later. But whatever those shadows are, would you today take a step out of the shadow into the light and simply say, I'm open. I'm open to investigate the evidence. So at one level, when we look at the resurrection, there is a, it's a question of history. It's also a question of why does it matter? Why does it matter? This is a much more of a theological question. I want to take you to the book of Galatians for this. I want to take you to Galatians chapter 1. One of the things I find encouraging about the Bible is the letters that Paul and others write address the same issues that we have today. (laughs) There's no shadow that Paul doesn't address. Was there hypocrisy in the early church? Of course there was. Paul addresses it. Was there hurt? Were there big-name people that let him down? Yeah, all that was there. Paul writes this letter to the church at Galatia, and they're fighting about, hey, do we, do we follow all the Old Testament laws? Do we have to go through all that? Some of you are here for our, for our Passover meal that pointed to Jesus on, on, on Friday night. Do we have to follow all the kosher stuff? Do we have to eat a certain way? Do we follow all these rituals still, or can we just put our trust in faith? In Jesus. And Paul's going to address this and say ultimately it is about our faith. But he says this at the very beginning. He says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ, God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So when we consider this rescue, and if we say, all right, there's a reasonable chance that this thing actually happened, now why does it matter? Why does it matter? Well, first of all, if this is true, we are rescued from sin and death. We are rescued from sin and death. And if you look at the passage, there's both the the, the personal sin, and we're also rescued from this evil age. Now, what is sin? Sin's a a, a churchy term, but it's, it's missing the mark. It's the things that we do that are not pleasing to God. Whether it's the bad we do or the good that we fail to do, it is is missing the mark. And it's easy for us sometimes to see, okay, I understand sin against one another. I I get that. But how how is my sin an offense to God? How does sin affect God? And I understood this at an abstract level. 
But I began to understand it more at a concrete level when I became a parent. And I'll never forget, um, and it wasn't their first conflict, but it was one of many, but my two sons, one happened to be a quarterback, one happened to be a running back on the football team. I happened to be one of the coaches. Well, it just so happened when the younger one was a sophomore, the older one was a senior, we were ahead. We were going to defeat our crosstown rival for the first time in a while. But guess who threw a pick six, an interception? Ran it all the way back. Guess who lost the game? Guess who was in tremendous conflict after the game? They're screaming at each other. They're going to fight. I'm still back in the coach's office. My wife, Kim, calls me and says, hey, they're going to kill each other. You better get home. Now, who's, who was hurt most in that conflict? It wasn't the boys. It was mom. My two, the, 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 the children that I bore, the ones that I've, I've, I've raised, I've taught, they're going to kill each other. This is a reflect. This hurts me. That's a glimpse of what our son does to God. And what does God offer? God offers reconciliation. Forgiveness, yes, and reconciliation to bring them back together. Now they call each other every day. and It's great. They still talk about that game. So how are we rescued? We are rescued through Jesus. Very simple. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. The sin that separates us from him. Why we were yet sinners, Paul says in Romans, Christ died for us. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to work our way back to God. We are saved by grace through faith. We can simply say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Paul, at the end of that Romans road that, that most people who needed to hear it didn't get a chance to, says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So Jesus paid the price. He died the death that we don't have to. That's the good news. There's another part of this, though. We are also rescued for something. We are rescued for eternal life with God. We are rescued for something. Eternal life with God. And I want you to think about that for a moment. Not just we are rescued from something, but we are rescued for something. I went to Pascal, now I want to go to C.S. Lewis. Great uh, British writer, philosopher, theologian. And he says this, he says, we, we fiddle around with all the things of this world. And he says this, we're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday 
at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Let me say that again. We are like ignorant, an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We're far too easily pleased. What does Lewis mean by that? Well, I believe he means a couple things. Part of what we have sometimes is a lack of vision. We can't see beyond what's in front of us. So what are the mud, what are the mud pies? What are the things that are of this world that are right in front of us that we're so wrapped up in that we don't have an imagination to see beyond them? In Lewis's day, back in what, you know, 1950s, imagine the world that, that is now that he couldn't even see. We have a lot of things in our lives right now that are vying for our attention. I think of the world of artificial intelligence. I think of all that our phones offer us. I think of all the, the, the ways we can be entertained, all the ways that we can be distracted. I believe Lewis is right, though. These are, compared to what is to come, compared to our life with God, these are just mud pies. It's just playing in the mud. But he says this, they can't even imagine a holiday at the sea. This morning, as you contemplate this for yourself, as you Think about who can, I, who can I share Jesus with? Do you have a vision for the holiday at sea? Do you have a vision for the kingdom? Do you have a vision for life with God? Paul in Romans 8 gives us a little bit of that vision. He'll, he'll, he'll lead us through about how our sin separates us from God and how Jesus paid the penalty for us on the cross but he's also going to say, like, there's no condemnation for you. You're free. For those who are in Christ, you are, you are free. You no longer have to be a slave to fear. Because you have the Holy Spirit. Your spirit, the, the, the core of who you are, testifies with his spirit, the Holy Spirit, that you're a child of God. When we put our faith and trust in Christ we get a new identity. Our identity is in Christ. We become children of God. Now that's a vision. That is a vision of a holiday at the sea. Now maybe you can't picture a holiday at the sea and you don't want to play in the mud pies. But we all have some of that in our lives. As I was thinking about vision, I was reminded of uh, 16, 17 years ago, we, we moved and we were looking for a new house. We looked at one house. Imagine that. Only looked at one house. Now, there was a problem with that house. You know, when you, you look at houses, there were, and there's usually a bunch of pictures, there were like two pictures. 
The house had sat for a year, but it was at a good price, which appealed to me, no question. The bones of the house were fantastic. The location was great, but the house hadn't been updated since it was built in 1977. So imagine the the thickest shag carpet you can, Pepto-Bismol pink bathrooms, Lots and lots of ugly, ugly layers of wallpaper that I would have to remove. But I said to my wife, Kim, I said, look, I can see it. This is our house. And she's like, are you kidding me? I said, oh, we, we, we got to knock out this wall. We can, we can do this. We can, it, it's going to be great. My realtor, we were on the same page. But we had a vision. We could see that house. We could see I could see. Took a little convincing. There's light of truth, shadows of doubt. I brought her into the light. And I said, this is our house. This is going to be our house. And it came to be. And sometimes I think when we, we wrestle with doubt, we get caught up in all the secondary things. We get caught up into all the peripheral things, all the things that we might have a different preference on, all the things that might, might cause us to argue. But when we come back to the resurrection, we say, if this is true, if it really happened, not just a metaphor, not just a story, but it, it really actually happened happened. It's true. I can have a vision for the future. And I can be rescued for life with God forever. Our bodies are breaking down. Some of you know that. Some of you will discover that someday. Some of you have artificial parts. You're saying thank you for science. But we're all going to break down and we're all going to die. But there is a forever. There is a forever that says because he rose, we too will rise. And that's what we celebrate on Easter. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that because this is really true, you have rescued us. Because it's true, you give us the opportunity to simply come to you in faith and say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Because you rose from the dead, You offer us a promise of life that is eternal and life that is with you now. So I pray, Father, right now, if if for anyone in this room who has not taken that step of faith, to simply take a step closer to you. And maybe that step is simply to, to be open to the evidence. And Father, I believe we all have 
loved ones who need to know you. And we pray for them now. Jesus, thank you for dying and rising. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.